Well, hello, Valley Creek. Man, it is great to be with you guys. I want you to do this. I want you to go ahead and let's welcome all our campuses in and let's just celebrate the family we are together. Come on now. It is great. I counted a real honor. Actually, one of the greatest honors of my life, greatest privileges, is that you're lead pastor. And I, I know you guys know how incredible he is, his wife really is. I counted a great privilege that he is considered one of my friends. And I love getting together with men and women like you and in day, on days like today where we do one thing. We are encouraging each other to take our next step with Jesus. Because as we step with Jesus, we are confident that he leads us into abundant life. But I'm going to be really honest with you. When we get to know Jesus, I mean, because what you're going to do is you're going to start reading the Gospels, you're going to read the things he said, watch the things he did, and sometimes you're going to be reading some things that he said, and your mind's going to go, say what? Did, did he really just say what I think he said? It's going to be like reading a social media post from one of your friends. And you're going to go, did they really just say that right there? Like in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, the Scripture says, now great crowds accompanied him, accompanied Jesus. Now, in the regional sense, Jesus had gone viral. There were people coming from all over to find Jesus. We know from other parts of the Gospels that they're coming from the north in Tyre and Sidon. They're coming from the south in Judea. People are coming from all over to hear him and the authority with which he taught to actually maybe even receive a miracle in their lives. Now, I need you to remember the crowds in that day were far different than crowds in our day. They didn't have planes, they didn't have trains, they didn't have automobiles. Everything, they, every place they were going was on foot. Everything was by word of mouth. These people are walking days and days and days trying to position themselves in the place where Jesus was. They're trying to figure out where he might be. There is no one posting that they're at this place on their social media app. Jesus doesn't have a website that gives his itinerary that he's going to be here and there. These people are making great sacrifices. They're leaving their farms. They're leaving their families, they're taking leaves from jobs just to find Jesus. And so now we see that there's a great crowd, all of whom have sacrificed greatly to find him. And Jesus turns to that crowd and he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There it is. I mean, you're reading along there and you're going to say, what? Did he really just use that word? But that isn't all he said. He goes on. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it or not? Otherwise, you lay a foundation not able to finish it, and all who see you make fun of you, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to war um, to encounter another king will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, maybe he sends a great delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's the point. That's why Jesus said all that he said. Jesus, at the height of his popularity, people coming from all over, he turns to them and said, I didn't come to create crowds. I came to create followers. Now, really, really let that sink in. Why do you think all these people made the sacrifices that they made to find Jesus. 
Why did they put their families at risk, put their jobs at risk, put their farms at risk? Why would they take such great risks? See, I would suggest that they did what they did for the same reason we do today. They gathered for the same reason that we gather today. They wanted at some level what Jesus had to offer. See, they had heard via the old school grapevine, they had heard that Jesus said there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. They had heard that he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. They had heard that he said, whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst again. The great crowds of that day wanted exactly what the great crowds of today want, exactly what you and I want. They wanted full, abundant life. They wanted forgiveness, rest, provision, purpose. They wanted heaven for eternity. They desired exactly what we desire. They want the fulfillment of the promises of the Almighty in their lives. They wanted what Jesus offered. And Jesus is very, very clear. He came that they, the great crowds, he came that we could have all that he designed for us to have from the beginning. He came to sacrifice so we could have all that we long for, all that he longs for you and I to have. He came so that you and I could increasingly, day by day, walk in the fullness of life, walk in the abundance of life that he provides as we walk with him. It is what he designed from the very beginning for us to have, but it was robbed from us because of sin. See, believe it or not, this statement that we read in the 14th chapter of Luke. This say what statement is one of the greatest promises in all the Bible. Because Jesus turns to a crowd very much like us. And he says, you can have it all. Everything I designed you to have, you can have. But he is really, really honest. To have all that Jesus offers, we must love everything else less than him. Hear it. To have all that he offers, to have all that he promised, to have all that we desire, we must love everything else less than him. You see, we, we know that when Jesus said to hate your mother, your father, your wife, your children, all those things, we know from the context of the whole of Scripture that he's making an exaggerative point to drive home a point, right? He's making an exaggerative statement. He's using a literary device as old as humanity itself. He's using hyperbole. Now, maybe somewhere in the back of your mind, you remember that from school. You remember thoughts and ideas about it. But even if you don't remember the word, you know what it is because we use it all the time. Like you're going on a trip and a husband picks up the suitcase of his wife and says, baby, what'd you put in this? This thing weighs a ton. Really? 2,000 pounds. And you think you just picked that up right there. Or is it an exaggerative statement to drive home? A point. Or you're talking and you're telling about a scenario you had, and you said, I said this thing that I shouldn't have said, and I thought I was going to die of embarrassment. Like, quit breathing, heart stopped beating, buried in the ground, died. Really? Or an exaggerative point, an exaggerative statement to what? To drive home a point. See, Jesus did this all the time. See, we know from the whole of Scripture that Jesus wants to empower us to have the most incredible of families. He wants us to have the greatest family, but we must love everything, including our family, less than we love Jesus to have all that Jesus offers. In fact, the challenge of the text is that we cannot be to our families what God designed us to be unless we love him beyond our families. 
Three months ago, I was with a group of leaders in the the land of Israel. Um, the church I'm blessed to be a part of in Abilene has partner ministries throughout the land of Israel as we want to see, bring the message of Yeshua as the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, to the land of Israel. And we were having one of the leaders of our congregations, our churches, share his story. His name's Avi Shalom Teklahimanot. Say that three times really fast. Avi was born in Ethiopia. At the age of 16, he made the return. He made Aliyah to the land of Israel. He graduated high school. He did what every high school graduate in Israel does. He went to the military. And then after the military, he went to college. And while he was in college, a group of friends introduced Avi, this Orthodox Jew, to Yeshua, to Jesus. And through a series of miraculous events, through a series of conversations, Avi began to believe. He began to embrace that Yeshua talked about in the Berit Hadashah, which we call the New Testament. They call the Bible of the Christians. He began to believe Jesus revealed there was not just the God of the Christians, but he was the one promised in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. And he embraced Yeshua as the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And he's telling his story to this group of leaders, and he made a real simple statement that I promise went over all their heads unless you knew something about Jewish culture. Because he said, the moment I decided to embrace Yeshua as my Messiah, When I decided to follow Jesus, my family set Shiva for me. And then he went on. And it hit me. To sit Shiva in Jewish culture is to have a funeral. Jewish families for seven days grieve the loss of a loved one. Avi knew that when he embraced Jesus to be his Savior, his Messiah, his Lord that he would lose his biological family. And I sat there, stunned, thinking, why in the world would you do it? The same reason the great crowds in the first century did. See, on another occasion, Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, every one of us ought to be very, very grateful that Jesus used hyperbole a lot. Because in the text... Mark chapter 10, we are the rich people. I don't care where you live. I don't care what you do. You live in America. If you live in America, you're a top four percenter in the world. By biblical definition, you and I are rich. Jesus is saying the more we have materially, the more difficult it is for us to walk in real faith. Well, then the text goes on. And Peter said to him, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Now, Jesus didn't correct Peter. Even though Peter was stating intent more than fact. Jesus didn't say, yeah, you probably want to leave everything, but you really haven't quite left everything yet. Jesus honored the desire in Peter and said, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. See, Jesus said it there. Jesus came that we could have all that he designed for us to have. But to have all, we must give all. See, I think the struggle, as we encounter what Jesus is saying here, as soon as in our minds we realize Jesus doesn't mean hate in the literal sense of hate, he just means love less. We can go, That's great. Jesus just wants me to love everything else a little less, and we can miss the significance of what he's calling us to. I was was reading the passage about six months ago, and it really, I honed in on it, and I I found myself asking a question. 
if forced, would I really love Jesus more than any other relationship? I mean, when it really came down to it, would I love him more? Like, not too long ago, a young lady from our church, mid-20s, had just finished um, graduate school. And so she's got like the clock ticking on marriage. She knows things are coming. She really wants to do this. And she was in a relationship with a young man she had really liked. Like she said, I've never dated a young man like this. We get along so well. We have so much fun. And she says, he, and he says he believes in Jesus. But I found out as they got to know each other, she discovered that his relationship with Jesus didn't really seem to exist. I mean, she didn't want to be judgmental. She didn't want to place that upon him. But she could see that Jesus wasn't nearly the priority to him that Jesus was to her. And so she addressed the matter with him. And and he agreed. He said, I'm nowhere close to where you are. I think it's great that people believe in Jesus and believe in God and all that. But I, I don't think we should get too radical when it comes to that. You know what she did? She faced her fear of not getting married. She faced her fear of being alone. She faced her fears of waiting, which she is still waiting. And she broke off that relationship. That's what Jesus is talking about. What if my kids choose a life contradictory to Jesus? What if my spouse chooses a life contradictory to Jesus? I don't know about for you, In rooms like we're in today, I can sing songs about surrender and giving all. But when it comes down to questions like that, something in my heart begins to struggle. I mean, you know what I'm saying. There could be any number of things that our kids, our spouse, or someone chooses to do. It could be an alternate sexual lifestyle that people are calling normal today, but Jesus calls it immorality. They could deny any form of faith and call themselves an atheist. They could change religion and deny the sufficiency of Jesus alone in their lives. What, What if that happens? What if my spouse, what if my kids choose a life contradictory to Jesus? What if my grandkids, I am now a grandpa. See, I I know you're thinking, how could that be? You look so young. I get it. It's a shocking thing. Grandparents were a lot older in my day. That's all I'm saying. When I was a kid, they looked a lot older. We're young now. Grandparents said, amen, all campuses. I know what you're saying right there. I look at my grandkids, I never thought I could love like I love. See, when I got got married, I wondered if I could love my wife the way she needed to be loved. I'm not a warm, cuddly kind of person. I didn't didn't come from that kind of heritage. Came from a lot of struggles. And God gave me a grace to love my wife in a way that I, I didn't know I was capable of. And then kids came along. And I thought, man, I, I don't know. And all of a sudden, the capacity to love increased. There was an anointing for it. And then, grandkids. And I love with a depth that is beyond my ability to imagine 30-some-odd years ago. I hold my grandkids, and I desperately Long for them to have everything Jesus has for their life. 
I call it out of them. I look at my two-and-a-half-year-old girl. I say, Esther, you are born for such a time as this. I hold my two-month-old grandson, Liam, William, and I say, you're born to bring freedom to the lives of many. And my Caleb that was born just last week, I hold him, and I say, there are mountains that you're going to move in the name of Jesus. I long for them to fulfill that. But what if they choose by the will that God gave them? What if they choose a life contradictory to him? Will I choose him first? See, I'm, I'm not saying that we quit loving, we quit relating, we, we, we quit doing anything like that. I'm not talking about being mean or disrespectful or arrogant or anything like that. But here's the truth. When a person runs after Jesus and they live for his glory first, and someone who is close to them chooses not to do that, something happens to that relationship. It, it's not the same. No matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, it changes the relationship. Sometimes it puts a strain on it. And I've asked myself, am I willing to even let there be a possibility of strain? What if it does more than create a strain? What if there's a breach in the relationship that no matter how loving you are, no matter how respectful you are, no matter how good you are, you can't overcome the breach in the relationship? Can I believe, even in that moment, that Jesus is better? I in no way can begin to understand what my friend Avi Shalom gave up to follow Jesus. But I've tasted a little bit of it. I grew up and, and met Jesus in a specific Christian denomination that in my day, we said we were right, every other Christian denomination was wrong, to the point that we were saved and you were not. We, we walked to that level. I'm telling you, I love that people. When I grew up in a dysfunctional neighborhood with a lot of bad things happening and we were not a church family, they showed up on a bus and they picked us up. And because of the trauma of things that had happened in my childhood, I was a tough kid. Like I, I needed medication, they just didn't know you needed medication in that day. And they kept showing back up despite what I was doing to them every week in church. I had an older brother who was worse than I was. We were like ADD1 and ADD2 and yet they kept showing up and they kept picking us up, and they paved the way for me to meet Jesus. In my young adult years, I saw in the scriptures that they taught me to revere that the things that we were so adamant about, and honestly, we were so arrogant about, were just wrong. And my wife and I decided in our young adult years that we were going to follow Jesus as revealed in the scripture. And when that happened, a lot of precious relationships were strained. Several were broken including in my family. I'm not going to say it wasn't difficult. I'm not going to say it wasn't hard. But I want you to hear me and hear me well. Everything that was lost is nothing compared to what I've gained in Jesus. What I've gained in him is so much grander and so much greater. That's the promise Jesus is making right here. See, he wants us to have it all, but to have everything that he offers to you and I, we must love everything less than him. And the question for us today is, am I willing? We are the great crowd Jesus is addressing. Am I willing to love everything less than Jesus? Am I willing to say yes to the things that help my family grow in their love for Jesus? Which means I'm probably gonna have to say no to some other things in life. I don't know about you, but I find my life pretty full and there's all sorts of options of stuff we can do. 
But I've discovered that I need community in my life. Am I willing to be part of a group even if I have to say no to some other things? Am I willing to be in church more than on occasion experiencing God's presence with God's people? I've discovered that it used to be that we said you had to have quiet times every day and we got real legalistic about it. We didn't want to be legalistic anymore, so we swung the pendulum and we just quit having quiet times. We need to get by ourselves in the closet where we actually pray. And we actually engage the word of God and we hear his voice and we hear his direction and we experience his presence. And all that takes time. Which means sometimes I'm going to have to work less and maybe even be less successful in my job because I love Jesus more. Sometimes it means less hobbies. Sometimes it means less kids activity. Sometimes it means less travel or less entertainment because I love Jesus more. Am I willing? Am I willing to serve? Am I willing to give? Am I willing to take my next step with wherever he goes so that I can experience all that he has? And in doing that, am I willing to say no to some of these things that are not bad? They're just less than. August 17th, next month, my wife and I will celebrate 33 years of marriage. We started young. That's not, that's not a joke. I mean, I'd been 19 three weeks when we got married. And because we were so young, uh, we had a lot of people um, talk to us, um, wanting to have conversations with us. I'm telling you, some of the conversations were great. They were like mentors wanting to invest in our lives, just wanting to make sure that we were being wise in all that we did. But other people who had conversations with us, I'll tell you, they were just idiots. Uh, they were just stupid. Because like some of my friends came up and they would talk with me and say, what about all the other women that you're going to miss out on? And I looked at them and was like, where are all these women? Where have they been in my life all this time? (laughs) They talked about all the freedoms that you would give up by taking on the old ball and chain and stuff like that. And I can remember thinking, even as a really immature young man, how all those costs And all those sacrifices, I I guess they were real, but they seemed so little compared to what I was gaining in my wife. And almost 33 years of marriage together has done nothing but reinforce that whatever I might have given up, which really seems like nothing, whatever I gave up is nothing compared to all that I have gained in her. And in all that I have gained in my marriage, it is nothing compared to all that I have in Jesus Christ. See, I'm beginning to understand what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, who said, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. I consider them manure. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That's it right there. You and I can have everything our hearts long for and desire. We can have it all. But to have it all, we must love everything less than we love him. Because only one is worth everything. Only he is worth it all. And I pray that we will become a people who demonstrate to the world more than ever, Jesus is worth it all. Let's bow our heads for a moment, all campuses right now. And I just want us to go into a place of prayer for just a minute.
Would you begin to ask the Lord about the place he he sits? I, I don't think most of us come to rooms like we're in without a desire for what Jesus has to offer for our lives. Without a desire for what he wants to give to our lives. But we find ourselves getting distracted. We find ourselves being sent a little bit here and a little bit there, and we need to put ourselves back on track. I want you to hear the words of Jesus just in this place of prayer right now, all campuses. We're the crowds. We've come to the place that we're in, some of us with some level of sacrifice. And Jesus looks at us and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Can we grab hold of the truth of that by faith? Can we grab hold of the reality of Jesus first right now? Would you you dare do something? Would you dare ask Jesus, is there anything that I'm loving more than you? Is there anything I'm loving equal to you? I say, I know it's a noble thing. I think there's a reason Jesus chose family. It it, it sounds so right to say that I, I, I love my family first and foremost. But men, what your family need most is a man who loves Jesus more than he loves his family. Women, what your family need is someone who loves Jesus more than he loves your family. That's what our kids need. That's what our grandkids need. That's what the next generation of people need. If there's anything that's standing in the way of you loving Jesus first, would you have uh, enough honesty to just say, Jesus, I lay these guys before you. I lay my family before you. I lay my parents. I lay my spouse. Some of us aren't yet married, and you say, I have to lay my future spouse in front of you. I lay my life. I even lay, lay my marital status before you. Father, I I ask that the revelation, the revelation of not just your sufficiency, but all that we long for being found in you would hit today at Valley Creek. I'm asking, Lord, that there would be a deep knowledge and a deep trust that what we really long for will be found not ultimately in what you have blessed us with, but with you and with your presence. I ask for a revelation of the 16th Psalm. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. I ask, Father, that we can trust that. And so for those of us who are married, we lay our spouse before you. 
And we say by grace, we will love our spouse, but we will love you before our spouse. For those of us who have kids, we lay our kids before you, O God. And we say we will love our kids with all the fullness that you have given us, but we will love you first. For those of us who have grandkids, we lay our grandkids, we lay our parents. We lay our siblings, we lay our friends, we lay them all before you and say, Jesus, we want to love them well and we want to walk well, but we will love you first. Show us how to love you first. Give us grace to walk with you first and foremost. And anything that stands in the way, I pray that you would show us what that might be so that it can be in its rightful place. We love you, Jesus. Help us love you more and help us walk with you every day. I pray for an impartation of great faith. I pray there be men and women that step out into things. I know this church is called to be ascending church, which means some of our kids are going to go to the nations of the earth. Some of our grandkids are going to go to the nations of the earth. We release them to your purposes and to your destiny, oh God. And we ask that we would be able to model well for all that are around us. Let us model well of people who live for the glory and the honor of your name. We ask in Jesus' name.